Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wa nashadu an la ilaha illallah Wa nashadu anna muhammadan rasulullah We want to give a special presentation uh, today during the khutbah on the issue of Islam in American textbooks and our education systems in America. And this is important for so many reasons. We all talk about stereotypes and the bigotry that we feel and the discrimination. Well, it starts from the schools. It starts from education. If we have 50, 60, 70 million kids that go through our school system in terms of public education, and by the ninth grade, they are exposed to the stereotypes within those textbooks, then we understand why we have such a great problem. And we have to go to the root of the problem first. So we at MPAC asked our interns, Ariba Khan, Megan Noor, Ramin Javadian, and Preston Nouri, to come up with this PowerPoint. And we thought that we would use this opportunity to go over their findings in this very, very important study on this very important topic. Education in America as it relates to Islam, as we all know, I remember when I was in the seventh grade and I opened up the textbook. There was a chapter on Christianity, you find uh, a man. And a chapter on Judaism, you find a woman who happened to be orthodox woman who was, her hair was covered. Then you go to Islam and you find a camel. That is the kind of dehumanization we find in those textbooks. And it is also the erasure of Islamic civilization within American public education textbooks that is a major crime that is polluting the minds of millions of Americans. The fact that we use Arabic numeral uh, system and People don't know this is coming from Muslims and Islamic civilization. The fact that the advancements in science and chemistry and astronomy and philosophy and medicine was made because of Islamic civilization and that is what Western civilization is based upon is a major violation of not only the facts about Islam but it is a violation within human civilization. So this void of knowledge is impeding our students and their perceptions of Islam and Muslims and moreover the way they graduate to college, what is on their minds and what is in their hearts in terms of a disease called anti-Muslim animus, bigotry and hatred. So we look to this problem and throughout textbooks our, our group, and these are young men and women, our interns at MPAC, and I love what they did. This, these group of interns, they, they captured the spirit of Islam. They are young men and young women working together to protect one another. And they are striving for the truth. And they are working to provide solutions that we'll find uh, as a beginning 
in this study, uh, in this PowerPoint. One of the findings they, they have, it is in bold, it said, Muslims should fulfill jihad with the heart, tongue, and hand. And this is what they say about us. This is not quoting any Muslim. This is directly out of a teacher's curriculum institute that is used for American textbooks. And this is what we call a partial truth because, of course, jihad is very important the way we understand it. The way we understand it is jihad is exerting myself against my base impulses and base desires. Jihad is defending the human rights of people. Jihad is restoring human dignity in our society. And they, however, are using it to say that Muslims use jihad to kill non-Muslims. And this is a partial truth because Muslims defend themselves when they're attacked and then they say, oh, this is jihad and therefore they're doing it just so that they can die and call themselves martyrs or they kill Christians and Jews. And this is worse than a lie, actually. And it normalizes the otherness, that we are other than normal in our society. We are other than American. We are other than um, uh, what is decent. We are other than human beings. It is the otherization of Islam and Muslims through our education system that is a major problem right now. And we just look at the pictures. As they say, a picture paints a thousand words. And what are those pictures? It's usually about some kind of bomb or some kind of terrorist attack. Or it's a picture of women who don't look happy. They look uh, oppressed. And it is confusing customs and uh, uh, traditions in certain countries with Islamic values and Islamic principles. And definitely the issue of women is a big part of the stereotypes that are used in these textbooks. And on the issue of jihad, it is using the militant definition of jihad. And that tells us two or three things. Number one, we are responsible for pushing back against that militant definition. It is a major objective of the Islamic Center of Southern California to make Islam known for what it is and to push back against any kind of extremist ideology, foreign or domestic, that undermines the principles of the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad and those principles are very clear to all Muslims. They are justice, mercy, compassion, liberation, and freedom, and human dignity. Anything that violates that, we are against. And if somebody wants to go and say, well, somebody in uh, 10,000 miles away from here said this, so what? You can find that in every faith. Are there not Jewish militants, Hindu militants, Christian militants? Of course there are. And they have power. And that should be a concern for all of us. We should be against militancy no matter where it is. But to scapegoat Islam and Muslims for having the militant problem when turning a blind eye to the militancy that makes Muslims suffer at the hands of these extremists, this is hypocrisy to our own country's pledge of allegiance when we say liberty and justice for all. And therefore, 
it is our responsibility to define Islam the way we understand it and say this is our narrative and, th and we will not be imposed by the narrative of anyone else. And we will expose that double standard. So number one, pushing back against any kind of militancy, exploitation of Islam, and whether they talk about violence or women uh, or uh, Jews and Christians and non-Muslims in that militant way, we have responded to that and we will continue to respond to that. Number two, the double standard will be exposed um, from this and we demand equity in American textbooks. We don't want these textbooks to explain to people how we pray. We don't want these textbooks to explain to people what our religious traditions are. We know what our religious traditions are and we will explain that to people. But we want our textbooks to be factual in the history of world civilization and how Islam contributed to world civilization. You want us to show, you want us to show us how Christianity or Judaism or Hinduism or Buddhism or Confucianism or Mormonism or Catholicism or any other religion contributed, great. Let us all put it there. But to say that it is Islam that is responsible for militancy and no one else defies logic, defies the truth. And the Prophet ﷺ, when he went into the Kaaba and removed the idols, he said, truth will obliterate falsehood. And this is the story of every prophet, from Moses against Pharaoh, from David against Goliath, from Ibrahim against the idol worshipers, from Jesus against those who persecuted him, from Prophet Muhammad against all those people that tried to distort what he's doing. And the Quran says they tried to make what is straight look crooked. It's a simple trick. Because they have the power of the media, then they will make what is straight to us look very crooked. And they pour in money, these extremist groups, against Islam, those who want to scapegoat Islam, and we'll talk about one of these groups in the next uh, few slides. And when it comes to martyrdom, by the way, martyrdom simply means that you are a witness to the truth. You are a shaheed, so you will testify to the truth even if it means sacrificing your life. And by the way, you go to any law enforcement office, you go to the World War II memorial, you go to any uh, memorial in any country, in the United States here or any foreign country, and they have a row uh, of martyrs who died for their country. And nobody has any qualms about that, yet we are the ones imposed with this notion that, oh, martyrdom means that we just want to go and die. No, we want to live. Islam is a religion that tells us how to live. The Prophet Muhammad and the Quran says that when the Prophet uh, and God calls us to that which gives us life, we must respond to it. And when it's time to sacrifice our money, our sweat, our status, we will sacrifice. But we don't go and look for death. That is something that's been in, that venom has been injected into the nomenclature and the narrative about Islam and Muslims, and we aim to remove that venom because it's not just affecting us Muslims, it's affecting America. Islamophobia is an American problem. It's not a Muslim problem. 
What is the significance then? When textbooks are the first and only exposure that students may have to Muslims, they take their descriptions as facts. And, and I've been in these conversations with people, I'll say, well, this is what the Quran says, and the person that's been exposed to this propaganda said, well, what, you're making it up, that's propaganda. So the, fa the, the fact is that we have the facts is distorted as being propaganda, and the propaganda that they have about us is being distorted as uh, the only truth that they will look at. If, if textbooks say Islam is violent, oppressive, or incompatible with Western society, then students will internalize that. Even in positive news coverage, terrorism and counterterrorism are regularly mentioned in conjunction with stories about Muslims. And we know, anytime there's a violent incident, if it says terrorist, that means they're, they're looking at a Muslim suspect. If, it's, if they say gunman or somebody deranged, it means it's a non-Muslim. It's part of the culture. It's part of the uh, rottenness uh, and the venom that now has infected the, the psyche uh, of all Americans through our media. This emphasizes the association between Muslims and terrorism, suggesting that Muslims play a disproportionate role in terrorism and must play a larger role in counterterrorism as well. And so, if you recall, we were involved last year in putting together a paper against white supremacist terrorism. And they wouldn't use the word terrorism. So we said, okay, we'll, we'll call it white supremacist violence. Just to get that paper and get the, the Homeland Security Department to change its policy to finally recognize that this is a threat was a major undertaking for, uh, from us. But alhamdulillah, we did that. But still, we're living with that double, double standard in terms of perceptions, and we still have a long ways to go. Who is blocking us from this problem? Obviously, there are many. There's a report by the Center for American Progress called Fear, Inc., and it lists all these groups who pour money into anti-Muslim propaganda. And it spikes every election year, so we should be aware that as we, as we get closer to the election, we're going to get closer to this kind of anti-Muslim animus in our um, in the rhetoric. And so over a dozen states have passed anti-Sharia legislation. They don't even know what Sharia means, so they're passing legislation on something they don't even know what it means. Uh, and they say that the Sharia mixes uh, uh, acts of worship and, and religious issues with social issues. Whereas, in fact, our scholars separated the two. There's the ibadat and there's the mu'amalat. There are the rules of worship that is for us and we must follow, and there are the, the rules for social interaction that we must be continuously thinking and reflecting on how to apply within the current context. That's the sharia. This is the usul al-thuqh, the fundamentals of jurisprudence. And anybody that picks up a book and reads about it knows exactly what that is, but they, again, are making something very straight and very clear, look very crooked. If it were crooked, why did Islam contribute so much to civilization? How could Islam contribute so much to civilization if what they say is true about us? So it just behooves these producers of these textbooks and these superintendents of the schools and our whole education system to review what is happening on Islam and Muslims as it relates to educating the American child.
it is a serious issue for us today as it has been for so many years and as it probably will be for many years to come. So there's one group <clears throat> that we're going to focus on today. It's called the American Center for Law and Justice. This is a group that is based here in the United States, but it has offices in Israel, Russia, France, Pakistan, South Korea, and Zimbabwe. It is aimed at looking at the issues uh, of culture within the United States and advocating for the way they see culture and advocating on education and litigating, which includes representing clients before the Supreme Court. And when they say litigating, that means they're making it look like Islam and Muslims are getting preferential treatment under the law. And again, they're making something that is not even true, not even existent, and they're making that uh, a case. Uh, the ACLJ focuses on constitutional law involving the issues of national security, human life, judicial nominations, and protesting patriotic expressions such as our national motto and the Pledge of Allegiance. But they are a big funder of a lot of the issues involving textbooks in our educational system. And they are funded by a group called Christian Advocates Serving Evangel Evangelism. And by the way, our friend, Pastor Bob Roberts, who is an evangelical himself, has a wonderful YouTube video that talks about why there is so much anti-Muslim animus among evangelicals. And, and so 93% uh, of, of the funding comes from CASE, uh, the Christian Advocates for Serving Evangelism, and they gave $16.8 million to ACLJ. So if you imagine that all the major Muslim organizations don't even add up to $16.8 million, then you understand what daunting task we are facing at this time. And they have a petition called Stop Islamic Indoctrination in Schools with over 200,000 signatures, and they lobby, of course, and they continue to do that. And again, this, this double standard, this strange, distorted view of the world that Islam and Muslims are getting preferential treatment within the education, education system, that is their main argument that they're going through, going uh, with to the courts. And if teachers are teaching kids how Muslims pray, it's one thing if they're saying they should, you know, how, if they're getting involved in our religious issues, I think we should just say, we'll take care of that. People want to know how to pray, how to fast, how to make zakat. Let the Muslims take care of that. The school's job is to talk about history. And you notice when they talk about history, it's, Rome, uh, it's Greek, Roman, then they call it the Dark Ages, then modern Western civilization, completely erasing Islamic civilization from the narrative. Yet Islamic civilization was at its peak during European Dark Ages. And so this is a very Eurocentric way of looking at the world, not including uh, Islamic contributions, and more importantly, especially in this time, not including African Islamic contributions to intellectualism, such as in places as Darfur and Timbuktu and Mali. The great contributions at that time, and there's a museum that is preserving these truths that I will get to 
later. So what is next? Number one, we noticed last week a presidential nominee, Vice President Joe Biden, talked about this problem. And he said, we need to have accurate education about Islams in our schools. That is a major accomplishment for us. That a, a, a person at a high level of authority is making that an, a national issue for America. And so we are continuing to talk with him about this issue and in all fairness and out of principle and to maintain our tax status as a nonprofit organization that cannot endorse a candidate, we are sending a questionnaire to President Trump asking him to respond to these issues as well. So we will continue to do that and we will request the U.S. Department of Education to only fund textbooks with accurate portrayals of a variety of Muslim cultures through open textbooks program. More importantly for us, we need to support those institutions that are providing the alternative and the truth. The Islamic Center Sunday program is teaching our kids, because I get calls every year. I get calls from parents every year. My kid was just exposed to this trash in the textbook, and it says Islam is oppressive against women, and it is violent, and it is anti-West. And so we have to respond to each parent. But if they were to bring their kids to the Islamic Center Sunday program, those kids would be more equipped to deal with that problem. That is why our Sunday program our, our Sunday school, I'm sorry, our Sunday school with our kids is critical to make sure that our kids get the proper information and obviously this is in addition to the training they get at homes with their parents. So the parents along with the Sunday school should work in partnership to develop our children to deal with this uh, aberration in our educational system as it relates to Islam and Muslims. The second group is BIAE, the Bureau of Islamic and Arabic Education. We as Muslims, we see the suffering every week, unfortunately. And I don't need to go through the list of tragedies and suffering uh, of, of people, the latest of which is what happened in Beirut. And we don't need to single out one group over another. We don't have a center of power that represents our interests. Other religions do. Every other religion has a center of power within the United States or a foreign entity that represents their interests. We Muslims have neither. All we have is Islam and all we have is our religion and our legacy. And we will not let others erase or distort our legacy and therefore preserving it through institutions like the Bureau and of Islamic and Arabic Education is critical. Then the last group is the Museum, the International Museum of Muslim Cultures. I want you to go to that website and it talks about the preservation of all the intellectual uh, and civilizational contributions of Islam and Muslims for throughout history. These are institutions that should be supported. I ask you to do that.
Alhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. So I gave you the bad news, the daunting task. But there's good news. And the good news is found, obviously, in the Quran and through the life of our leader, uh, our um, sign of mercy to humanity, uh, our barometer for what is right, and that is the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And let me just go over a few verses, and we all know, and we can go through the whole Quran that deals with the struggle between truth and falsehood. The first is when Luqman is talking to his son, and he says, Oh, my dear son, verily, if there be but the weight of a mustard seed, and though it be hidden in a rock or in the skies or in the earth, God will bring it to light. For behold, God is unfathomable, unfathom unfathomable in his wisdom all aware. And any act of compassion will lead to a greater act of compassion and mutual understanding. And MPAC is ready to launch mustard seed project with Christian evangelical communities to begin this process of engagement and, inshallah, to convert people from enmity to friendship, as the Quran says. And obviously, I have to skim through this, but it, these are the important points. And the other metaphor that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us is in Surah, uh, surah number 13, uh, Rad, uh, and verse number 17. I'll just read the last part of this verse. And this verse in the Quran is saying that as for the foam, thus Allah presents the example of truth and falsehood. As for the foam, it vanishes, being cast off. But as for that which benefits the people, it remains on earth. Thus does Allah present the examples. And so whatever we do in terms of the truth, and it benefits humanity, this is what will remain. And anything that is false is, ev will eventually float away like the scum on top of water. This is Allah's promise. And we have to believe not in just our religion, but we have to believe in the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To believe in the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is part of attaining that greater faith, uh, of, of, uh, of, of becoming a stronger mu'min, uh, is to believe in God's word. And then the last thing is what God says about the, uh, the example of uh, of a good word versus a corrupt word. He says, have you not considered in Surat Al-Ibrahim, have you not considered how Allah presents an example making a good word like a good tree whose root is firmly fixed and its branches high in the sky? It produces its fruits all the time by permission of its Lord and Allah presents examples for the people that perhaps they will be reminded um, and the example of a bad word is like a bad tree uprooted from the surface of the earth 
not having any stability. So the good word will have firm roots and it will produce fruit that will sustain people for as long as God wills. The bad word has no roots and is dry and is dead and cannot bear any fruit. We have to believe in God's word. And, and it ends with يُثَبِّتُ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِالْقَوْلِ الثَّابِتِ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ وَيُدُلُّ اللَّهُ الظَّالِمِينَ وَيَفْعَلُ اللَّهُ مَا يَشَاءُ That um, Allah keeps firm those who believe with the firm word and in worldly life and in the hereafter and Allah sends astray the wrongdoers and Allah does what he wills. These are the guiding posts, posts from the Quran in giving us that fuel to remain steadfast and to continue striving for what is right, for the truth that eventually will cause the falsehood to float away, inshallah. Here is the real image of Islam, New Horizons School that we are proud to have with the teacher and the beautiful students, all smiling, all energetic, all ready to be wonderful leaders for our community and wonderful leaders for our society. That is what should be in our textbooks, not what unfortunately is seen today. So the good news is Allah is promising us that if we believe in his word and we continue to strive, that eventually we, that the truth will prevail, inshallah. Well, I thank you for keeping us safe in this time of turmoil. Oh Allah, thank you for giving us the opportunity to serve your cause. And thank you for blessing us with this great religion of Islam. Oh Allah, thank you for bringing us the model of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And we ask you that we be among those who strive for the truth. And we ask you for those uh, to be among those who abstain from all that is evil. And we ask you to be among those who do what is right and forbid what is wrong. And we ask you to be among those who are pleased with you and you pleased with us, inshallah. And we ask you to give strength for our future generations of Muslims so that they can carry the baton of Islam in America, inshallah. Wa akhir da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Okay,